Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it. We made it to another weekend. I hope you have some time off coming in the next couple of weeks. And what better way to fill that time than with some of the best TV shows of the year? Here to share her favorite five shows of the year is Ingu Kang, TV critic at The New Yorker. Ingu, welcome back. Hi. Happy to be back. Yay. So you brought your top five shows of the year uh, in no particular order, to be clear. I would love to know how you decide. Like some of these are things that are were definitely on my radar others not so much so I'm excited to chat with you about them I mostly really just went off on what are shows that people are not yet sick of hearing about because I love the white lotus mm. just like everyone else I too love like redacted happening to redacted um but I also at the same time know that no one <laughs> wants to hear about the white lotus anymore probably so mm. I brought yeah. five shows that honestly really kind of made me feel like something new or something special or something tingly in a genre that I was kind of sick of. Like the semi-autobiographical genre, the medical genre, the Mm. serial killer drama. Like I could not believe that there was a serial killer drama in the year 2022 that I actually enjoyed. And so I was like, if you are able to make this like withered old heart inside me, like actually pump for (laughs) once... Like, you're in. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, so let's start with Mo on Netflix. Speaking of kind of a memoir show, this one is loosely based on creator and star Mohammed Amr's life as a Palestinian immigrant in Houston. I've never been to Palestine. I don't have citizenship there. I don't have citizenship here. I'm like a refugee free agent. I don't even have a fucking passport. All I have is my asylum claim and a bunch of Chanel bags. What are you talking about? You got us. And you got your family. Exactly. And that's why I got to take care of them today. I got to do what I got to do until I can have my own business, buy my own piece of land, and do things the right way. So I haven't seen this one. I do have a lot of friends who definitely were shouting from the rooftops about it, especially someone who is Palestinian and was just like, finally, the show we need. What What is it about it for you? It is basically to me about a guy who is sort of stuck. Um, Yes, he is sort of like 30-ish. Yes, he cannot commit to his girlfriend. Like all of those things are like very (laughs) tropey. And yet at the same time, there's this really nice uh, surreal tinge to it. It is about a guy who lives in Houston. And because his family came over as refugees, uh, he cannot actually work. And so he's in this sort of like legal limbo. And because he feels Mm -hmm. like he has to provide for his family, even though he cannot 
network that he enters into a lot of this like really gray area labor. I think in the first episode, he actually gets fired from a fur- the furniture store that he's working at because the owner gets really skittish about immigration mm. uh, agency raids. And so he starts selling stuff out of the back of his car. He sort of just mm. does sort of like what he can. Uh, but for me... What I really love about the show, what feels new, is that it is this like incredibly hyper local story of Houston and its immigrant communities, mm-hmm. um, and also at the same time this like really global story of a refugee family uh, that sort of first has to go to Palestine, then has to go to Kuwait, uh, then has to like move to the U.S. and it's sort of this feeling of wow, like I won the lottery, I get to come to the U.S. and then not being mm-hmm. able to move on with your life for the next 10, 20 years. Mo, the main character, is this like super affable guy. I said before that he works as a salesman and he's also trilingual. He speaks English, Arabic, Spanish. He really just is Mm. able to get along with everyone. And I think what I actually love most about the show is that it sort of like chips away at like why he has this incredibly affable facade on all the time you know he Hmm. wants to believe in his heart that he is this like really kind person who is out there doing everything for everyone but as the season goes on you can see that that is not actually the case people are missing out awesome Greta you're missing out (laughs) (laughs) thank you Ingu um, you mentioned shows that everyone's already talking about. I do think White Lotus was definitely one of my favorites of the year. I feel like most of my favorites are things that people have been talking about, like um, Abbott Elementary, which you and I discussed mm-hmm. last time you were on the show. Another one of my favorites, which is also, I think, getting appropriate praise is Sex Lives of College Girls. Have you seen that one? Uh, I will provide a polite silence here. <laughs> Fair enough. I think it's not perfect. Comedies don't always work for me. But what I will say in its defense, in case I need to defend it, is it's really interesting for me to think about what it would have been like if a show like that had existed when I was in college, when I was watching Sex in the City, because that was like the only thing that existed at that point that was like that, yeah. you know? Uh, I, I mean, I get it. I think it, it just like it's supposed to be about college girls today. And yet, like, the fingerprints of, like, the geriatric millennials or whoever mm, that write the show are, like, it. all over yes. it. And so yes. it's very hard for me to get into. And not that, like, I necessarily know what being a teenager is like now, but I'm just like, mm, I can tell that that's not it. That's fair. That's totally fair. Okay, so one of your other picks that you brought is also an HBO show. It's My Brilliant Friend. This, of course, is based on the Neapolitan series by Elena Ferrante. This is one of a couple of picks that you brought that I feel like had a lot of hype and that I was really curious about watching, partly because I loved those books. But I was really surprised that like, it felt like it sort of came out and no one really said anything about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm not surprised. I think the first season is not as strong as the seasons that have come out since um the third season came out this year so uh you know like the second season superb third season really magnificent mm-hmm. um what i love about the show is that in 2022 we had these like really big really epic shows we had house of the dragon we had rings of power mm-hmm. the lord of the ring show we mm-hmm. had andor and yet I kept thinking, like, this is the epic scale that I want to watch. And 
because from mm-hmm. uh, season one to season three, it essentially takes these characters, these two girls who turn into women from age about six to maybe 36, um, sometime in mm-hmm. their mid-30s. And it just sort of shows like the wax and wane of their friendship. And at the same time, it shows how all of these like post-war political currents in Italy are sort of like encroaching upon the lives of these girls whose lives really don't really have anything to do with politics. And yet, because there is violent leftism and then all of this violent neo-fascism, and because a lot of this takes place in southern Italy, it really encroaches upon their lives in a way that even though they're not necessarily looking for it. The premise of this is like almost sort of like sociological. There are two girls, um, both of whom are sort of like the first and second smartest girls, like in their preschool or kindergarten or whatever. Mm -hmm. And one of them is allowed to go to school and basically excels, goes to college. She marries a professor. She has children and sort of lives this like very like upwardly mobile bourgeois life and the other one almost seems like a cautionary tale she gets pulled from her school very early by her parents who are like we're not paying for a girl to get educated this is the Mm -hmm. 50s um and basically gets married too young and has to support a child on her own and then once she realizes that she has to leave her abusive husband, then she goes sort of goes from like job to job. Whoever will hire a single mom who's also disgraced. So the premise of it is like very sociological, and yet at the same time, these are real characters, and they're also constantly envious of each other, and they're sort of looking at mm. mirror images, sort of of each other, going, "What if?" and sort of realizing, "Oh." actually, I hate that other person's life. And also, I kind of hate my own life. (laughs) (laughs) This is maybe the best looking show on TV. Every single performance is perfect. And also, Max Richter uh, did the score. And so each time you hear like the same like (laughs) musical leitmotifs return, Mm. your heart just like is like in the best way possible because you're like oh I'm hearing this like same musical motif that I heard when this other thing happened and this other thing happened And you really get like a sense of that life lived, which is exactly what I want from this particular show. Yeah. Well, and can be really challenging to capture effectively, I think. Yes. You know, when you only have so many episodes. And the fact that they got these uh, two pretty young actresses who started uh, playing those roles when they were teenagers up to age 32-ish. And they are able to encompass, like, all of that time period in their characters' lives. It's it's just really magical. Well, that's cool that there are three seasons because it means that's, like, a solid binge yes. that, that we can all I will experience. say it is an Italian-language show, but I'm sort of hoping that yes. with this greater interest in international TV... Uh, that people will be more open-minded about it. And, you know, you don't have to yeah. binge it. You can sort of, like, give your eyes a rest a little bit. But once <laughs> you go to those Italian locales, you will not want to stop watching. Um, okay, so another one of my favorites that I don't think we talked about last time you were on was Bad Sisters. Did you watch that one? Mm, Greta. <laughs> 
I I think I watched two episodes. Couldn't get into it? Uh, I could not. I could tell what they were going for, but the tone just like mm. didn't work for me. Although I love the conceit. It's a great conceit. You know, in the first episode that a husband has died, you find out over time that he's a horrible, horrible person, like abusive, just like a dick to everybody. And there are five sisters. And so one of the women was married to that guy. You know, he's dead. You don't know how he dies. And you know, by the end of the first episode, that the sisters, all of the sisters, except the one who's married to him, want to gang together and try to kill the guy. Great conceit. It's a great conceit. And then the subsequent episodes are um, they keep fucking it up. Which is also, I think, very fun. Yes. And so, you know, you know he dies, but you don't know how. You don't know who does it. There, it's. I thought it was a great ride. And I actually did just hear that there's a second season, which I'm sort of disappointed by just because I feel like, you know, those shows when the first season is just a complete perfect entity and then they try to do more with it. I feel like that often doesn't work. I agree with you. Also, the show uh, was... I believe created by and stars Sharon Horgan of Catastrophe, uh, which and the show honestly just made me want to go rewatch Catastrophe. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, Sharon Horgan is phenomenal and just keeps making really interesting stuff. So I guess I will try a season two. I'll be cautiously optimistic <laughs> about it. Okay, so next up is a show we both raved about last time you were here on the show. We didn't talk about it too much, though. It's called This Is Going to Hurt. It's based on a memoir. It stars uh, Ben Wishaw, who's amazing. Let's listen to a clip. This is Obs and Gaini, also known as Brats and Twats. You're generally sailing the ship alone, a ship that's massive and on fire and no one's had the time to teach you how to sail. You pull the babies out so there aren't any more babies to pull out. But what other doctors can say they end up with twice the number of patients they started with? <laughs> This is also a really interesting balance in tone, actually, this show. Yeah, this is a medical drama and it is based on the memoir by a doctor who basically just got burnt out and he has sort of like the right politics. He hates privatized medicine. Um, he loves, you know, helping marginalized women who are, you know, in an incredibly vulnerable time in their life. And yet, at the mm -hmm. same time, you can see how his burnout and his sort of like arrogance that he knows he needs to check, but sort of it's like the thing that is like keeping him going a little bit at his job is ultimately going to ruin him and also just be mm -hmm. detrimental to his patients. It is in some ways really harrowing in a way that a medical drama is. And at the same time, mm -hmm. it is a really scathing critique of an institution that is failing every single person on every level. It is really funny because of Ben Wishaw's voiceover. Uh, but my favorite sort of like tonal part of this was actually how romantic it was because it is mm. like amidst all of this stuff, a sort of like will they won't they with uh, mm -hmm. Adam's boyfriend who, you know, is really sick of his, I don't know, 17 hour work days. And Adam sort of is forced to decide at a certain point, like, Am I going to be a doctor in the system or am I going to be a person? Mm, that's a really good way of putting it. You know, unfortunately, the show is on AMC Plus. So <laughs> I don't think that very... That does seem to be the major hurdle. <laughs> I, it's, please, if you're out there and you're interested in the show, you know, uh, opt in for that seven-day trial period. It will be worth it. 
And it's, I mean, it's not more than eight episodes. It's seven eight half hour episodes too. Yeah. So it's quick. You know, you can like, that would also just be a solid binge, I think. Just get through it. It's great. Yeah. I don't think that like I have a more hidden gem, like emphasis on the word hidden on my <laughs> top 10, I don't know, top 30 this year than this one. Um, it is mm-hmm. like a near perfect show. It's maybe my favorite show of the year. All right, in just a minute, we're going to hear more of Ingu's picks. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to the Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. You also brought us a comedy special, um, which I also did not see but heard a lot about. Why did Rathaniel make it on your list? Yeah, I brought you a lot of like, I think... Um, it's a good mix. Funny dramas, and this is like a sad comedy. Um, <laughs> you know, this wasn't a really great year for comedy specials, but this one was would have been a standout in any year. It is Gerard Carmichael, um, who comes out on stage, and mm-hmm. it is absolutely funny but it is also sort of about like the long-term corrosive effects of family secrets within a family um drug carmichael has sort of you know he talks sort of about like why he waited until his 30s to come out and a lot of that Mm -hmm. has to do with his parents i came out too late like a little too late i was like 30 That it gets better shit is for the kids. Like, that's not for an adult man figuring himself out. Like, they don't want that. Nobody wants that shit. All my friends felt like I was just duplicitous. Like, I was just lying to them. They, they didn't know who I was. They all reacted like Sally Field and Mrs. Doubtfire. They were like, the whole time? Like, they were very... And I think what's really interesting, and what made me compare to Hannah Gadsby's Nanette, is that there is sort of this, like denying of catharsis and of closure uh, within the special. What he wants to do is sort of project onto like the larger world, the sort of open wound that he himself is facing uh, because of his unresolved tensions with his mom over his sexual orientation. Um, mm. And yet at the same time, there is this like really incredible, like incredibly warm, incredibly inquisitive collaboration with the audience because the audience is sort of like participating in the storytelling of this. They're asking him questions, they're giving him advice, and he is sort of responding in real time. Um, And so it is a fairly non-traditional comedy special. It's also directed by Bo Burnham. And I feel like you can sort of feel it in sort of like the intimacy, in the explorations to see what stand-up can do. This is like another one of those examples of like it took a genre that everyone is familiar with and just like did something very different with it. That's really cool. And when did that come out? It feels like it came out so long ago already. I'm kind of shocked that was still 2022, honestly. (laughs) 
It came out in April. Ten years ago in April. <laughs> so your last pick is another one that... Wait, it's, you're not going to tell patient. me another one that I hated? Oh. <laughs> oh, you know what? You know what I fucking loved, Ingu, that you probably did? Well, maybe you liked it, is For All Mankind on Apple TV. Oh, interesting. I told you you were going to come up with something I haven't seen. I think this is such a phenomenal show. It's an alternate history about what would have happened if the Russians had won the space race. If you've been listening to Nerdette, like the people know I'm obsessed with. I wouldn't shut up about it for a very long time. So I feel like I can probably give listeners a break and not get into it too much. But I just think it's an excellent sci-fi drama that's more drama than sci-fi, but still has just enough kind of alternate history stuff to be super interesting. Yeah, it has like a very Mad Men feel in some ways, right? Yeah, it's kind of like a cross between like Mad Men and like Battlestar Galactica or something, which is like, turns out I will watch the shit out of that, you know? Interesting. (laughs) Okay, so on to your last pick, which is The Patient, which I was really curious about, but that was another one where like, I felt like it came out and no one said anything. And then I didn't know what to do about that. But even the cast, it's amazing. Let's listen to a clip and then you can tell us about it. I'm asking you for for help. You said therapy can't work if I'm not truthful. I know that you're right, so... No, no, you don't understand. I don't, I don't think you know what you're doing to me. I realize it might take you a little time to get used to what's happening here. Whatever is troubling you, we can address it, but not here, not like this. Dr. Strauss, I have much bigger problems than your other patients. I have a compulsion to kill people. What the fuck, Ingu? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was for me the show that made me think, oh, is there actually still life in the serial killer drama? There's still life wow. in the therapy drama? And it turns out if you combine them together, then they become a whole new thing and they actually become sufferable again. Um <laughs> It just has like an original concept that I was so grateful for. But what I loved about this is that Donald Gleason plays a guy who is sort of like, you know, I can't stop killing and I really need therapy for this. Um, the therapist is played by Steve Carell and he decides that what he needs to do is kidnap his therapist, lock him in his basement and then sort of like come down every <laughs> once in a while for a session. Amazing. It just feels really human in a way that serial killer dramas almost never do and it is a show that's so uninterested in sort of like the grisly aspect of killing and so much more in like why how in the hell could someone possibly be a serial killer and you could actually empathize with them and yet at the Mm -hmm. same time of course this therapist um he really feels like because he has all this time being essentially imprisoned he's sort of like looking back on his own life and is sort of comparing his son who converted to a more conservative version of judaism than the one that the therapist and his deceased wife belong to and sort of like that caused a huge amount of tension in the family and sort of comparing his like son and his alienation and estrangement with his son to the serial killer's relationship with his father. Um, And so you do have like some back and forth. It doesn't, it's not as claustrophobic as it sounds. Uh, And yet, again, this is a really funny show. (laughs) 
Wow, that does sound really good. I'm intrigued. It's going on the list. Hopefully I'll get to it eventually. Um, Before you go, I would love to know if you have any honorable mentions, um, more like on the lowbrow side of things. I don't know. We talked about reality TV last time you were here. Is there any reality TV that is um, just like keeping you going right now? Um, you know, I, there are so many of these like really serious kind of prestige uh, shows that I am always happy to advocate for, but the thing that's sort of keeping me going right now is a show called Love Without Borders on hmm. Bravo. I think there's only like four or five episodes. Um, so far it is created by the guy who also created, uh, Love is Blind, so you know that the premise is completely crazy. Um, <laughs> it is about a bunch of Americans who uh, decide that they want to be matchmade, and they are going to be matchmade by to a person in a foreign country, and they are not told which country that they are going to for the next 90 days until oh they God. get to the airport. Um, because it's Bravo, there's a gay couple in there, which I, which was very refreshing if you are a 90 Day Fiance fan, which is like a lot less sort of diverse in that way. And the fact that these people set themselves up for this crazy experiment of going to go live for three months with an absolute stranger in a country that they might not know anything about to find quote unquote love. Um, <sighs> I, <laughs> fear for these people's sanity and yet at the same time I cannot stop watching (laughs) oh my god I am so stressed out just by that premise alone like good lord (laughs) okay well Ingu thank you so much it was as always a pleasure to have you on the show thanks so much for having me that is the delightful Ingu Kang. We also asked you, dear listeners, what some of your favorite shows are and here's what you had to say This is Liz from Roseville, Minnesota. I don't usually call about TV shows. I usually call about books. Um, So highly recommend, and I don't know if I've ever binged five seasons of a show with subtitles before, but Rita on Netflix. It is about a Danish school teacher, her family, her life, the education system. Um, Super enjoy it. Also, I'm really looking forward to some other TV show recommendations from other nerdy people. Hi, Nerdette. This year, Murderville was one of the most bingeable shows I watched. Will Arnett is hilarious, and it's so funny to watch celebrities not know what they're doing at all when they come on the show. Station Eleven, no question. The rare occurrence where a show might actually be better than a book. I loved it. Reboot, which I was not expecting to enjoy as much as I did, but as a 90s kid, it really kind of brought everything back, especially with all the reboots that are going on. And I would say from a reality competition side, loved The Big Brunch. I feel like Dan Levy brought that touch of wholesomeness to cooking competitions that we have not seen. So looking forward to what he does next, too. Thanks, Nerdette. Happy holidays. Bye. Liz, 
Kathleen, Kara, thank you all so much for chiming in. It was great to hear from you. We also, I have to say, on Instagram, got a lot of shout outs for Wednesday on Netflix for what it's worth. I haven't seen it yet, but it does look pretty exquisitely weird. If you have thoughts about the shows on today's episode or you want to chime in with some of your favorites, we would love to hear from you. We'll get a little conversation going in our Facebook group. You can join that if you go to facebook.com slash groups slash Nerdette HQ. The show is produced by me and Anna Bauman along with Sam Deere and our executive producer is Brendan Banaszak. Have a great week, y'all. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.